Prime Minister, welcome to Conversation With. Thank you. Let's look at the Scandinavian model. Everybody seems to talk about the Scandinavian mm. model, and uh, particularly in Denmark, you're supposed to be the happiest mm. people in the world. Yeah, Are you really the happiest people well, in the world? Some people tell us. I, I mean, I'm a happy guy. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, what does happiness mean to you as a prime minister, in the sense that interpreting it from the point of view of policy? I think it's it's difficult to uh, to describe happiness, but I think it's about uh, feeling trust to other people, that you trust uh, yourself, your own skills, uh, that you do not fear the future. And I think we have, I mean, we haven't, of course, we haven't solved any problems, but but we have done our best. And I, I think our flexicurity model, uh, which allow the, the business community to adapt very quickly and hire and fire, and it goes hands, hands in hand with, uh, with people feeling secure because we provide them with social benefits and we also assist them educating themselves to, to take another job. Create this uh, sense of feeling, you know, secure. And that's a, a key word to describe happiness, I guess. The, the question, though, is, is that from the cost point of view, yeah. can you actually, how do you actually bear that? Because you're still also one of the highest tax mm. countries in the world mm. and you give 52 weeks of parental leave. Yeah. Now, here in Asia, many of the companies here would say that that's impossible. That would increase costs to an untenable level. Mm. It's unacceptable. Why is it Denmark's been able to do that? Why is it your companies don't just all leave Denmark uh, you know, and say, this is, we don't want these sort of costs? Because, I mean, there's a reason uh, behind people paying taxes. I mean, we have, uh, you know, uh, tax-paid uh, healthcare system, educational system, uh, subsidized infrastructure, etc., etc., etc. And uh, it goes hand-in-hand hand with being a very transparent and non-corrupt uh, society model. And that's why we rank, I guess, number three on the World Bank uh, doing business index. So, uh, I mean, that's the main reason. And then, of course, it, uh, it's due to a high rate of participation. I mean, uh, if people can participate on the labor market, they participate. Uh, but, of course, we're also challenged by the fact that we are, you know, looking into a future where people are getting older. We have to increase our pension age. But we have done that. We have made reforms. In the past, so we have linked uh, our pension rate, our pension age to uh, life expectancy. And by, by doing so, we have made our model more sustainable. So you think in countries like Singapore, or perhaps anywhere else here in Asia as well, as we live longer, we're going to also have to work longer as well, like the Danes? Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, you have to accept a decrease in the prosperity. I mean, uh, that goes without saying. I mean... Uh, it's all about how long do you work, uh, how smart do you work, uh, and how many uh, out of the total population are on the, on the, uh, are actually in the work, working force. I mean, yeah, that's basically what sum up uh, prosperity. But Denmark has made some adjustments also to its uh, cradle to grave, so yeah. to say, model of looking after people completely, you know, that education is free, healthcare is free, and so on and so forth. If we look at that, you've become more strict about how long people can get unemployment benefits, mm. for example. Mm. Uh, and if we look at your corporate tax rate, it's now gone down to uh, one of the lowest levels it's ever been in the yeah. history of Denmark. Yes. So you have had to make adjustments. Yes, because, I mean, we are, we are, we are part of the global ecosystem, so we have to adapt, of course in order to be competitive. And as I mentioned before, it's all about participation. So 
Uh, of course, it's a nice thing that we can give people social benefit if they are out of work. But on the other hand, we also need to need to give them an incentive to find another job. And it could be in another sector. It could be something you are not uh, originally educated to. So you have to uh, you perhaps go on a kind of personal compromise. And, and we have to strike a balance. And, and we have done that. And we have done that by uh, changing our unemployment uh, system. And we have done that by uh, increasing our pension age gradually the next coming years. And then, of course, I think the most important thing is to bring people on the edge of, 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 of the labor market, on the edge of the society, into the society. And I'm proud to say that we now have the lowest uh, number of people on social benefits we have had for the last 10 years. What about people who say that the Scandinavian model is very nice, but it works in Scandinavia, in Denmark? Because you're a homogenous society, you all have largely the same background, speak the same language and have the same, so to say, values. Yeah. Whereas in more multicultural societies, which we see here in Asia, it would not be possible. Do you agree? To some extent, I agree. Because, uh, I mean, there's a kind of contract, uh, unwritten contract uh, between uh, the society and the individual. And 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 that so comes social contract. a kind of social contract and that that comes with you know uh, being a cohesion society uh, sharing the same kind of values so i guess it's right to say that you can't just copy paste the scandinavian model there's a reason why we name it the scandinavian model but i think you could get inspired as we can get inspired from what i have witnessed in in singapore and other asian countries as well is it true that you gave to President Joko Widodo a box set of Metallica signed? Yeah. You can call it the, the hard rock uh, diplomacy. Uh, and, uh, you know, China had their panda diplomacy, and uh, so we invented the hard rock uh, diplomacy. You, in your visit here to Asia, have been to Indonesia before coming to Singapore. Mm -hmm. uh, and. Is it true that you gave to President Joko Widodo a box set of Metallica signed? Yeah. Signed by Lars Ulrich, the, yes. the drummer who originally uh, invented Metallica. Yes, that's absolutely true. What made you think of that as a gift? Because I have heard that uh, the Indonesian president is a truly uh, Metallica fan and a heavy metal fan. And, uh, you know, instead of just giving him, it could be, you know, nice Royal Copenhagen or whatever, I, I thought I would give him something he would really appreciate. So I, you can call it the, the hard rock uh, diplomacy. Uh, and, uh, you know, China had their panda diplomacy, and uh, so we invented the hard rock uh, diplomacy. more serious things though, yeah. sir. You've also talked to him about terrorism yes. uh, and how to de-radicalize. Denmark has had its share also mm. of homegrown uh, yeah. terrorists, ones who have gone to join uh, IS. So what sort of advice did he give you and what sort of things do you have as a takeaway? That how, what can Denmark do better to de-radicalize uh, its own people? That's a very difficult question to answer uh, and I don't think there's just one simple answer to that. 
uh, question. Someone will give me the Nobel Prize if I could answer that question. Uh, of course, it's about integration. Uh, if we look at the participation rate among uh, second generation immigrants to Denmark compared with uh, original Danes, so to speak, there are a tendency that they are less employed, they are uh, not as educated as, as the first generation, uh, as the Danes. We have to do that better. Uh, and I think we could be inspired from uh, Indonesia uh, because they have their challenges as well. But it's true to say that in the world's biggest uh, Muslim country, they have managed to live side by side, um, different uh, religious uh, groups. So I think tolerance and participation, but you also need, uh, you know, on the tough hand uh, to, uh, to enhance our, uh, our intelligence uh, services, etc. There's no easy answer to that question. Some of the uh, human rights groups, though, say that, that Denmark has been too tough on immigrants, for example. There tends to be a sort of this mixing of this terrorism and immigrants idea. Um, passed a law last year which says that you can seize assets from, yeah. uh, from immigrants or refugees coming in in order to pay for their subsistence. That was considered rather, rather harsh. Mm, yeah, but I do not agree at all. I mean, Denmark is a very open, uh, open nation. Uh, I have, or we have created 100,000 new private jobs since uh, the last election, and half of them are occupied by foreigners. Uh, so uh, we have an increased number of foreigners uh, at the Danish labor market. Uh, I want a nation which is open for international talents, but you can't uh, you know, mix that with uh, illegal migration. So I guess you have to strike a balance, uh, and I want a very open Denmark for people who really want to live in Denmark, who wants to be a part of uh, our society, uh, who share basic values uh, about uh, women's emancipation, democracy, etc. But I do not want an open Denmark for people who actually don't like our society or totally disagree with our society. But you have said yourself, though, that you don't, you're, you're not very approving of, for example, women who wear the scarf. I mean, the scarf is okay for me. And if we, women wear a scarf uh, and they take the, have decided to do so by themselves, it's absolutely okay with me. I don't uh, want the, uh, uh, I don't want the niqab and the and the and the burqa the and, full that's, face and the full face covered. And the reason is simply that I mean, we we live in an open democracy, and 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 for that I think it's fair to say that we should meet each other so we can you know actually look into each other's eyes. But the scarf, you think, is all right. The scarf is all right, and the scarf is ac accepted in our society. Danish but, nuns actually wear, in that sense, a scarf. Yeah, but I mean, but, but, but I mean, it comes with the uh, precondition that you wear it on a voluntary basis, and, and it's not something you are forced to do. Huh? That's important to, to, to add to the answer. Is the European Union dismantling? Is it unraveling? It's a disaster that the critics decided to leave this, but. Then on the other hand, it has perhaps created a sense of awareness among uh, the rest of the leaders.
think, though, that, for example, uh, Denmark is a good uh, European. You've, uh, you're part of the European Union, but on the other hand, Denmark isn't even part of the euro because you voted in a referendum not to be part of the euro. Is the European Union dismantling? Is it unraveling? Hopefully not. Uh, and uh, honestly speaking, I'm quite sure that that will not happen. Of course, it was a disaster that the British decided to leave this, but... Then on the other hand, it has perhaps created a, a, a sense of, uh, you know, uh, awareness among uh, the rest of the leaders, uh, concentrating and focusing on what, what, what's important, uh, you know, avoid red tape in Brussels, being more competitive, I mean, Europe vis-a-vis uh, -vis the rest of the world, uh, enhancing the single market, I mean, all the things... Uh, which were the original idea behind the European Union. We have to stick to that. You said hope. You didn't say expect. <laughs> so does that mean that you still think the European Union is going to be around in 10 years' time? I'm sure Europe uh, and the European Union will be around in 10 years' time. I mean, but the judge is still out there, so, so to speak. I mean, it all depends on how we handle this uh, transformation or transition from being 28 to become uh, only 27. And, uh, and, I mean, negotiations are going on right now. I hope we can close a, a, a fair deal with the UK, uh, with a nice divorce settlement and, uh, and uh, trade agreements which will uh, keep Britain as close, as, uh, as close to EU 27 as, as possible. And, uh, and if we can do so, I mean, then we will show uh, our people, also the Danes, that uh, Europe, uh, Europe is uh, <laughs> around for good, so to speak. future-proof an economy. Can countries like Denmark and Singapore really prepare their citizens for jobs that are going to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now? You won't even know what jobs there are in 10 years from now. No, and that's the problem, and I can't predict the future, and therefore I can't make any guarantees, but I'm, I'm very optimistic about it because, I mean, we have proved in the past that we can adapt uh, to, uh, you know, new realities, and of course we can do that again. And I think the advantages that we, as a small, open-minded uh, uh, economy, is used to changes. I mean, in the past, when our textile industry uh, disappeared and all the jobs moved to, to Asia, basically, we turned it into uh, a textile uh, design industry instead. When our shipyards uh, wasn't competitive any longer, we uh, decided to, uh, to, to, uh, to construct windmills instead. So I think we can do that by being more flexible than the big ones, actually. How do you think, though, that ordinary people are going to be able to prepare themselves? We keep talking about mm. this upskilling yeah. and lifelong learning. Yeah. But in concrete terms, again, how is a Singaporean or a Dane who lives in a developed country, wealthy, how are they going to upskill and upgrade well, I can only uh, tell you what we are trying to do in Denmark. And most recently, just a couple of weeks ago, we, uh, we uh, made a tripartite agreement between labor unions and uh, employers' organization and the government exactly about this lifelong uh, education and vocational training. And we are going to invest something like 500 uh, million Singapore dollars within the next couple of years in increased spending in exactly that uh, area. 
But co of course, there's also a personal responsibility, and, and that's perhaps the challenge because there's a kind of dilemma that the most educated people are the ones who are most willing to uh, to uh, to upskill themselves, and the less uh, educated who are the one who really need uh, to qualify are the one who uh, who is less open for that. So I think we have to, to work uh, with people's mind as well. But uh, I think due to this three-party apartheid agreement in Denmark, we have at least provided uh, the budget and the funding for, for doing so. Final question, sir. Is it difficult, more difficult now, to be a small country than it was previously? in a world that seems to be becoming increasingly polarized, particularly with many big powers jostling? I wouldn't say it's more difficult, but I think uh, you have to take upon more responsibility because uh, small countries as Denmark and Singapore has to step up and, and speak loud because we see tendencies uh, you know, to, uh, towards protectionism and to turning back to internationalism. And I mean, as a small country, we have gained our prosperity from uh, trading with the rest of uh, the world and living in a global uh, order, uh, some kind of global governance. And someone put a question mark to this in these days. And I think that gives people like me an even you know, bigger responsibility to, to, to speak up and speak in favor of free trade and speak in favor of multinationalism, etc. Prime Minister, thank you very much for being on Conversation With. Thank you for inviting me.